Good morning, Iglesia Biblica Grace. Good morning, family. Um, over the past couple months, we've been walking through the epistle of James, and if you're anything like me, the Lord's most likely used this letter to grow you and stretch you. I can look back at my faith walk, and the Lord's taken me through James a few times. And I can say with confidence that this epistle has probably stretched me the most. And if we're honest, there's some hard truths that are shared that we have to process. But when we look at it as a challenge to grow in the Lord, this book really is such a blessing. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Moses Saldivar, and I have the privilege to serve this wonderful faith family as a member of the staff, and I have the honor and the privilege to share the word with you this morning. If you're a guest with us, whether you're in person or online, I want you to know that you're welcome. Know that we're honored that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Just so you know, today we're going to be pausing in our James study, but in many ways what we're going to walk through today is really just an extension of what we've already learned. And specifically, we're going to be walking through the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. And what we're going to find is that it contains some of the practical implications that we find in the epistle of James. And that's the idea of how our faith should drive us to action through the stewardship of the most precious gift we've been given, the gospel. This will also lead us to revisit a challenge that Pastor Carlos laid out for us a while back. And that's the idea of living with a plus one mentality. Specifically, it's how we're called to use our giftings to bring others with us, to live out our faith past a Sunday morning, and to live sacrificial lives because he's worthy of it all. Before we get started, Enoch mentioned earlier that there's something a little bit special about today. And I'm sure you noticed it uh, when you walked in that this is a family worship service. And that's a worship service in which all the members of our family, our familia, from our babies to our elders, we get to worship together. And in honor of this special service, I want to do something a little different, a little special. And in the spirit of being family, I'd like to share with you some dad jokes. <laughs> now, don't tell Pastor Carlos. I know when, you know, dad is away, the kids will play, right? So don't get me in trouble. Uh, I would ask that uh, you keep your tomatoes or other fruit to yourselves. Just please. Um, and just so you know, they're not just any dad jokes, but they're Bible dad jokes. It's Sunday, right? So we got to get a little spiritual with it. So some of you, when you heard the phrase dad joke, um, when you heard it come out of my mouth, you're probably like, ah, groaned a little bit. And trust me, I get it. I roll my eyes too, just thinking about them. Some of you might not have heard the term dad joke. And that's okay. Um, so I'm just going to let you know, if you haven't heard that term, my apologies ahead of time. Um, if you're really unaware of what a dad joke is, they're probably some of the lamest, worst, and corniest types of jokes that are out there. And in my family, we occasionally try to have like a contest to see 
who can tell the worst joke possible, and then we just chalk that up to the horribleness of them, just to them being dad jokes. So, you guys ready to hear some? Feel free to groan, laugh, promise I won't be offended. Ready? Vamos. Where is the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? Any guesses? It's when Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. Here's another one. Who is the greatest babysitter mentioned in the Bible? David. He rocked Goliath to sleep. How about this one? What car did the wise men drive to see Jesus? A Honda. The Bible says the wise men all came in one accord. I'm sure you've heard that one before. And another, which servant of God was the worst lawbreaker in the Bible? Moses. He broke all ten commandments at once. Ah. And then finally, finally, um, who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He brought the house down. So you, <laughs> you may be asking why I just subjected you guys to um, these terrible, corny jokes. But I promise you there's a reason for that. Dad jokes are a little kind of like parables. And, and hear me out a little bit before you run me off or call me a heretic. What really makes a good dad joke is that they're really just kind of blatantly obvious Uh, What also makes a good dad joke is that they can also be very obscure sometimes for the hearer. So sometimes it just flies over your head. Um, And at times a dad joke can have multiple meanings um, all at one time. And parables are really similar in that way. So a parable is a practical story that we use to illustrate some spiritual principle, a spiritual truth. um, And those illustrations typically... Um, would have been very familiar for the audience that they were being shared with. So if you're listening to a parable, you could take it literally. And if you did that, most likely you'd probably miss the entire point of what was being shared. And unlike a dad joke, there's always a deeper meaning with them. And we should always be paying attention for that deeper meaning. And in turn, that deeper truth is that the Lord... Is, what, is the one thing that the Lord actually wants us to learn. So before we read the parable of the talents today, I, I really want us to be mindful of that idea. And um, in some cases, because it can be kind of confusing, it's helpful for us to just seek the Lord in prayer and ask him to illuminate for us what he would have us learn. So let's just pray together really quick and just see what, uh, what the Lord would show us today. Father, we thank you um, that you have given us your word. We thank you that you have given us your son. Um, We thank you that you have um, taught us things um, really in an understandable way. I think we'll find that out today. Um, Lord, so I just pray that as we um, are here together, um, that um, you would illuminate for us what you would want us to hear, what you would want us to understand, and that it would really um, just pierce our hearts and transform us, Lord. Thank you. Um, again, 
for your word and your son. In Christ's name, amen. So if you have your Bibles ready, if you have them nearby, I'd ask you to turn to Matthew 25. Um, or if you've got your phone and you've got your favorite Bible app, go ahead and pull it up. Um, if you're one who's still figuring out where things are in the Bible, that's okay. It's super easy to find. It's the first book in the New Testament, right after Malachi, but before Mark. Um, since we are in chapter 25, it's closer to the end of Matthew. Um, so again, Matthew 25, and we're going to be re- reading verses 14 through 30. And the word of God says, And the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work, and he earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who'd received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I had harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what's going on here? There's at least three things that we can discern and that we're going to discuss. First, our faith will lead us to act or should lead us to act. Second, we will be blessed through the abundance of the Lord. And lastly, on the day of judgment, we're going to be called to give an account of what we've done 
with what we've been entrusted with. Again, our faith should lead us to act. We will enjoy the abundance of the Lord. And one day we'll be called to give an account for what we did with what we've been given. So if we take this parable at face value, we might find ourselves actually thinking along the lines of that third servant. I mean, there's some logic in there if you think about it. We might find ourselves thinking that what he did was good and that, honestly, he played it safe. And just to make sure that he didn't lose what really didn't belong to him, he didn't take any risk. It's a good play. Bury it. Don't risk losing it that way. But is that the entirety of what's going on here? Is that what Jesus was trying to teach us? Not really. The situation is actually a lot deeper than what we see at face value. So if there's more to the story, why wouldn't Jesus just tell us what he wants us to know rather than burying it deep in a story? Why didn't he just give us the answer? If the answer can be really clear, why don't you just hand it to us? Jesus tells us in Matthew 13 when his disciples ask him why he speaks in parables. And then he answers them in verses 11 through 13. He says, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they'll have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. So did you catch that? For those that listen to him, he reveals more of himself as to what kind of king and kingdom he's ushering in. And by listen, he isn't implying just listening to words. He's implying that those that hear must obey. He tells them that they hear, but they don't really listen or understand. Let's put it another way. And I want you to reflect here on yourself personally. Can you think of a time, do you remember a time when you were a child and your parents would do their best to impart some piece of wisdom to you? And you sit there and you'd go and just nod. And it looked like, in your mind anyway, that you're taking it all in. And did you really end up doing what they asked you to do? Or did you end up doing it your own way? Now let's fast forward for some of us now who have children and we look back on those times and I think now we can say to ourselves, oh, 
And for those of us whose parents may be here with us today, I bet you they are sitting next to you and they're smiling and they're saying, yep. So Jesus could tell us plainly what he desires of us. And at times, he does. But many times, he asks us to take a step out in faith and just trust him. And the reality of it is, is without being challenged to step out in faith, we most likely would probably never put our faith into action. As we read earlier in James, faith without works is a dead faith. Our lack of action is a direct implication in our lack of faith in who Jesus says he is. Our faith should produce obedience. And not just obedience for obedience sake, but obedience out of love that is expressed by our actions. They're not just empty words. And that's what we see with the first two servants in the parable. Both of those servants, they took that charge that they were given seriously. They were entrusted with much. And they had confidence that the master was a good master. And that he would reward them for their efforts. And this was evidenced by both of them getting to work. And what did they do? They sought to multiply the master's money. And when the master returned... He praised them. He praised them for their faithfulness and for a job well done. And not only that, he invited them to celebrate with him. Now, keep in mind, he didn't have to do that at all. He's the master. The money was his. The original sum and any growth that came out of that did not belong to the servants at all. And if you think about it, that's still the way things work today. But yet the master chose to invite them in. And he invited them in to partake in the blessings of the harvest with him. Now the third servant, on the other hand, Thought he was playing it safe. Wouldn't take any risk. Now here's the thing. Is he played it safe? Probably not for the reasons you might think. The first thought that would come to mind would be, well, he just doesn't want to lose any money. It's not his. So he's trying to protect it. It's also possible that the servant wasn't that great with money. The master gave them according to what they could handle. It was in proportion to their abilities. It could also be that he doubted his abilities. And maybe he really did feel like there was a genuine risk that he would lose it all. And maybe he didn't want to disappoint the master. That's a possibility. But 
Notice how the servant describes the character of the master in verse 24. He describes him as a harsh man. When we go back and we look at the Greek for the word that was used here, skeleros, it's generally used to describe someone who's not just harsh, but stern, violent, intolerable. The servant believed that the master would punish him severely if he fell short. And much less did he place any trust that the master would share in what was gained. And that was evidenced by the servant telling the master flat out that he basically took things that he really had no right to take because he didn't work the fields himself. The servant's lack of action really revealed his heart. And not only that, but he rejected the rightful place of authority of the master. And in turn, he also rejected his place with the master, which resulted in the removal of what was entrusted to him. And then it was given to others. This servant was entrusted with much. Say, well, it was one bag of silver. Some translations use the term talent. And a talent is used to describe the largest use, uh, unit of currency in that day. The master told him what to do, and then he failed to do it. If we go back to Matthew 13, Jesus said, But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. They hear but they don't really listen or understand. Now let's get back to verse 21, 23, and 29 specifically. In these verses, we see how for those that are faithful and that love him, he blesses them abundantly. We see that in both verses 23 in 25, the master is lavishing the servants with praise and he's inviting them in to celebrate what all has been accomplished. The master expresses his joy in his servants. And he really wants them to know this. Verse 29, we're told that they'll be given in abundance. To get a better idea of the abundance that's being given... I want us to skip ahead in the passage. We're going to go outside of the parable. And we're going to look at verse 34, same chapter, chapter 25. And what we see happening here is the king of heaven. This is the judgment happening. We see the king of heaven invite his servants in. And he tells them that they will inherit the kingdom that was prepared for them. Did you hear that? The kingdom. The kingdom. They will have the rights to the kingdom and will get to partake with the king. Wow. 
But here's something to be mindful of. Before those who are his servants get to partake in that celebration or the kingdom or some other parables would call it the wedding feast, something else has to come first. So let's get back to verse 19. And we see that the servants were called to give an account of what they did with what they were entrusted with. This is something for us to take note of. We're all going to be called to give an account before the Lord of all that we've done and how we've stewarded what rightly belongs to the king. So what specifically has he entrusted us with? Everything. It's time, it's money, our giftings, our families. I could go on and on and on. But if we go to the end of Matthew, specifically, very end, chapter 28, we learn about the biggest things or the biggest thing that we've been entrusted with, the gospel. This gospel, it's the good news that's been given to us. It's the amazing story of redemption and reconciliation that in our brokenness, while even though we're undeserving of being in his presence due to our sin that dishonors and blasphemes a holy God, the father chose to send his son to die and take on the wrath of the father himself so that he could be the bridge that we so desperately need to be allowed back in his presence. This is the message that we've been entrusted with. And like the master in the parable, Jesus has all the authority. He has authority. He has all the authority. And what he's entrusted to us is worth a lot more than bags of silver. It's the keys to the kingdom. And also, like the master in the parable, he's given a command on what to do, and that's to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, to teach them to obey his, the, the commands that he's given us. He's asking us, all of us, to help the world listen. He tells us that anyone who listens to his teachings and follows and follows it, is wise. And is like a person who builds a house on solid rock. That, rock. that house will stand firm and will not be moved. And like the faithful servants, we can trust that the master's good. He tells us that we can be sure that he is with us always. And like the master, the Lord has gone away. But you can be sure that he's going to return. And he's going to ask from us an account 
for what we've been entrusted with. To help us just process some of the implications, I want us to just pause and reflect on a short video that we're going to share with you. And then I want to share on some of the implications of what there may be for us today. Question. What are you called to do? Imagine with me standing before the throne of God and a scenario like this occurred. Evangelist Anderson, come forth and give an account of your stewardship on earth. E evangelist Anderson, I, I'm not an evangelist. I, I, I'm an accountant. I, 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 I had an accounting partner. I had an evangelist Anderson. Where are the 347,566 souls I called you to impact in Asia, son? Where are they? I, I, I'm, an, I, I'm an accountant. I, I had an accounting firm. I, I, I help churches. I help ministries with their, their, their finances. Son, where are the 347,566 souls in Asia I called you to impact? Son, where are they? Had you sought me, had you sought my face, I would have revealed this to you. And everything in regards to that man's calling was burnt up before the judgment seat of Christ. Accountant Jones, step forward and give an account of your stewardship. Accountant Jones, no, no, I, I pastored for 35 years. I, I, I had a, a membership of 750 people. Accountant Jones, I called you to the marketplace. Had you done this, you would have significantly impacted two people. You and those two men would have helped churches with their finances, and those churches would have impacted 751,321 souls. If you would have sought me, I, I would have revealed this to you. And again, in regards to this man's calling, everything he's done in life would be burnt up before the judgment seat of Christ. Sister Smith, come forth and give an account of your stewardship. I only raised three children. I, I never preached to, to nations. I, I never even been on a, a missionary trip. I, I only tried my hardest to raise my children in your way. Sister Smith, I never called you to preach to nations. I never called you to go to other countries on missionary trips. I called you to raise three children. And let me show you the one million 
79,541 souls. Those three children impacted. You sought me and you heard my voice. You were obedient to my call. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Don't minimize how God can use you and how he intends to use you right where you're at, but know that he can get you or he can accomplish so much more through you than what you think you can do on your own. Let's not lose sight of that. Let's remember that we're all going to be called to give an account for how we steward what we've been given. If you recall, right before we jumped into this series in James, Pastor Carlos talked about this idea of cultivating in ourselves this plus one mentality. That's we're all called to bear witness to Christ in everything that we do. So I want to share some examples of how we've seen this played out here at Midtown, but also ways that you might be able to be that plus one yourself. First, pray. We're all called to abide in him. We're told that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And we can only discern his will if we're seeking him and if we're listening to, listening to him for his guidance and his wisdom. What we do and how we serve is for nothing if we're doing it apart from his will. Again, what we do and how we serve is for nothing if we're doing it all apart from his will. As we watched in that video, if we don't seek his face, we run the risk of working outside of his will. So pray. And you know what's beautiful about prayer is that it's another way for us to get practically involved in seeing God move, not just here, but amongst the nations. An example of that is starting later on this month, on the 27th, we as a church, we're going to be praying specifically for Muslims, Muslim peoples to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, let me tell you why this time is important for prayer. It's because it's Ramadan season. For those of you that don't know what Ramadan is, Ramadan is the holiest time of year for a Muslim. It's an intense season of prayer and fasting that happens from sunup to sundown. And so we want to pray that the Lord would reveal himself to Muslims through visions 
and dreams as he's done countless times in the past and that he continues to do today. So if you'd like to participate in this prayer movement, you can scan the QR code. The one on the left is for English. The one on the right is for Spanish. And you'll get added to an email mailing list. And every day, you'll get an update. You're going to get stories about how the Lord is moving in the Muslim world. But also, you're going to get some practical ways that you can pray. And let's take it a step further. You are all welcome to come join us here at the Midtown Campus in the chapel, the Capilla, starting on the 27th at 6.30 a.m., where we will have a group of people that will be praying each day for 30 days. And here's the other thing. If, bring somebody with you. Don't do it alone. Pray as a plus one. The next thing that you can do to live out this plus one mentality is welcome those around you. This entire campus, this whole um, midtown thing is really just that. That's why we're here. This was started as a way to be a welcoming place for a very underserved segment of our community. So welcome those around you. Continue to do that. We've seen amazing things happen here at Midtown um, by seeing the way that you guys have welcomed people. Continue to practice kingdom hospitality. And we've seen this really lived out through multiple ways. Um, if you remember the big giveaway, the big party, the big dessert, and then we've seen many times where members of this congregation have welcomed international students in their homes with open arms. We have members on our staff. That's part of their story. Come to the second service if you want to hear a little bit about that. We've also seen this lived out through countless meal trains that have been set up to support a lot of our families, which have allowed some of our members of our congregations, as they're walking through some very difficult times in their life, to be able to just feel seen by the Lord in a very practical manner. That's kingdom hospitality. And together, one of the things that we've been able to do as a familia, we've been able to see our families rejoice. We've rejoiced together. Think about last weekend. Sharing that big old meal together. We were, we've been able to grieve together. We've got some families walking through some very hard things right now. But I've heard consistently that they have seen the Lord's hand because of the way that you all have been walking alongside them. And the other thing that we've been able to do, we've been able to grow together. Come here on a Wednesday morning, Wednesday evening, if you don't believe me. If you haven't been here, check it out. It gets a little crazy around here, but in a good way. We're growing together. We see it happen in our sobre mesas. It's a beautiful thing. But these types of things are only going to happen if we're welcoming others into our lives and our homes. So welcome as a plus one. You can also go. I know that there are people in this room today who are most likely being prompted by the Lord to go. 
to truly be the hands and feet of the Great Commission. And when I say go, I mean they, be, they may be called to go into their neighborhoods. Or they may be called to go into their workplace. Or our schools. Or to another city. Or even to the ends of the earth. For some people, this might be a day. Others, a few weeks. Some of us, a lifetime. Hear and go. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 14, that the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. If we want to see the master's return, all nations need to hear. Jesus told us, those are his words. Do you hear? Are you listening? Go. Go is a plus one. And before I share the last thing, I want to invite our worship band to come back up. But the last thing that I want to share with you is that you can help send. The reality of it is, is that some of you really aren't called to go, just like we saw in that video. But the impact that he's calling you to might be to be doing that right here. So while some of you might not be called to go, what we all should be doing, because if we desire to see the Lord come back, is we need to see the nations reached. So we have to facilitate the going of our goers. And we see that practically in scripture, just like the local church helped Paul on his missionary journeys. So some of you might not be aware of this, but um, yes, I'm on staff here at um, Grace Bible Church. But I'm actually not employed by Grace Bible Church. I actually work for an organization that seeks to plant churches and make disciples in the Muslim world. And after I finish this today, after I finish sharing this message with you, I'm actually gonna get on a plane and I'm headed out to the Middle East, 19 hour flight. And the reason why I'm going is so I can see how best we can help accomplish the Great Commission in that part of the world. But I want you to know something, and this is why sending means a lot to me. Myself, nor my family, could we do that work without the support of ministry partners like many of you in this room. I literally would not be able to get on the plane without the prayer, love, and financial support of others. And you have no idea, no idea how often we have felt and been sustained by the prayers and love of the people in this room, as well as our other ministry partners, our practical needs as a family. So I share this 
because I wanna challenge us. I wanna challenge this congregation to sin well. Because I know, I personally know the impact that sending well can have. So I wanna offer you an opportunity to be able to step into a chance to send well, to send as that plus one. This summer, Midtown is doing something amazing. We're sending out our very first short-term team to Central Asia. I'm gonna tell you that typically that does not happen in a congregation that is this young. God is moving, he is moving. And you have an opportunity to participate with him, participate in that mission with him. That Central Asia team is gonna be led by uh, OJ and Nere Limos. You guys know OJ and Nere? They are integral parts to our familia. So our prayer is actually that it doesn't stop there and that that short-term trip would actually be the first steps that we could take to eventually send an entire long-term team there. But I want you to know something, they won't be able to go and that's short-term or long-term without this congregation surrounding them and sending them well. They'll need your prayers, love, financial support to get them on the plane and on the ground. So if you'd like to come alongside them, I know that OJ and Nere would love to have a conversation with you on how you might be able to do that and how you could support the entire team. So let's send as a plus one. So this morning, as we get ready to sing one more time, I'd like to just challenge you to reflect on that and how the Lord would have you be a plus one. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity of the ability to be a plus one to one another. How you've called us to step into this mission and how we praise you just for the fact that you tell us that you're gonna be with us through the entire thing. That should give us confidence. And our love for you should spur us on to act. Lord, if there's something that we're holding on in our lives that's keeping us from acting, from fully trusting in you, Lord, I pray that you would break that today, that today would be the day that you would move with power and strength in our lives, that we would let those things go, that we would let you, Holy Spirit, just fully consume us Oh God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and the honor that you allow us to serve you in this way. We don't deserve it, but through your grace and your mercy, you've seen fit to allow us to be a part or just to witness a part of the blessing. Lord, we praise you and this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus.